0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Define and Empower's podcast, Black Feminist Hotline. I'm Amanda Bennett, the founder and creative director of Define and Empower. We're a Black feminist education and consulting collective that places the varied perspectives of Black women at the center of all of our work. This podcast extends the work we do at Define and Empower by giving you, our listener, access to authentic, creative, and honest conversations between Black women and other women of color. This week, we're bringing you a conversation I had with Charlene Ketchum. Charlene is passionate about empowering Black women to live their best lives. In 2020, Charlene founded the She Confidential platform, which includes a podcast, a blog, and an online community to provide women the resources and connections they need to prioritize self-care and personal fulfillment. Charlene has a diverse professional background in content development, medical publishing, and legal services. She is a licensed Missouri attorney with experience in family, juvenile, and energy utility law. Charlene also volunteers for and supports matters related to voter rights and protections, youth-focused initiatives, and animal rights. On a lighter note, Charlene prioritizes self-care through journaling, massages, and meditation. She loves traveling, the convenience of eBooks, trying new ethnic foods, and will forever be a major Prince fan. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Just to start us off on the right track, would you mind introducing yourself to the audience and just saying a bit about who you are, what you do?
1: Absolutely. So first, thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for the invitation. And my name is Charlene Ketchum and I am been born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. My family's from Georgia, um, but in terms of who I am, I'm a unicorn, I'm an empowerer of women, I'm a supporter of women, and I'm just in the middle of this process of journeying and healing and self-discovery and learning. Uh, so it's a beautiful space to be in because I give myself permission to maximize that. Um, in terms of what I do, um, I am an attorney, I've worked in juvenile law and family law, I currently work in utility regulation, it's very interesting, uh, it's very, it touches on a lot of different things. Uh, prior to that, I worked in medical publishing for about 20 years, uh, so I've worked in the public, private, and not-for-profit sector. I've also been an entrepreneur, uh, so I've worked in big companies, really small companies, And so I mentioned all that, not necessarily that I think it's the most important thing about me, but what's been great about those experiences is that I've gotten to see how the world operates in so many different environments and lenses, and particularly how it impacts Black women. Because for a lot of us, for me in particular, I was the first in my family to go to college, the first in my family to have that career that everyone is supposed to aspire to as part of the American dream, AKA the white man's dream. So all those boxes checked supposedly, but then you get there and you realize all those things that nobody ever told you about, like all the baggage that comes with having these high powered jobs, making the six figures, how isolating that is. And just how much baggage that comes with that, which we'll we'll talk about that stuff in detail later. But this is just an overview of like these are the things that have kind of helped shape who I am. But even prior to that, you know, I come from a family of very strong, independent Black women. And that's a blessing and a curse because I have mimicked <laughs> and modeled <laughs> a lot of my coping and living off of those expectations and aspirations Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: only to realize that's to my detriment. Mm -hmm. And that's, and I say that with blessings and gratitude to everyone before me, because it's their sacrifices that have given me the gift of choice, but having that awareness that like, my God, I don't really need to aspire to replicate what, how they've had to live. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I do. And the biggest thing about what I do right now is the launch of She Confidential. So during COVID, like everybody else, I was stressed out. I was confused. I'm like, these people who are supposed to lead us aren't leading us. And the world is going crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm over here trying to figure it out. And it really forced me to ask the big question about how do I want to live the rest of my life? Because it was very possible, like, when all of this first started, that we could all die. Like, I don't know if you're a Walking Dead fan, but I just watch, watched Walking Dead. I quit watching it, like, a few seasons ago. <laughs> it that got too real. Good. Like, it, well, it got annoying. It's like, they keep getting salvation. And then it's like, it's all jacked up again. Like, I just want to see them live good again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just gave up on that. But if at the beginning of COVID, I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, worse than the zombie apocalypse. Because at least with a zombie apocalypse, we could be together with this and we could see the quote unquote enemy, but with this virus, we can't see it. And we had to isolate from one another. And I realized during that time, how much I needed people, how much I needed hugs, physical contact with people. And I also realized I'm not as happy as I deserve to be. And so clearing out that calendar, I wasn't traveling anymore, like so many, wasn't constantly busy because usually my schedule was like bump, a bump, a bump. I didn't have a lot of downtime. And that was one of my things. I was happy that I was busy and I was productive and I was checking stuff off my to-do list. COVID changed all that. And I decided, what do I want my legacy to be? What do I want my impact in the world to be? And what is most fulfilling for me? And so I really got to do, take the work that I have been doing to a deeper level. So I'm thankful that before COVID, I was already in therapy. I've been in therapy since 2007. And we can talk about that in detail a little bit later too. But I've been in therapy. I already had a wellness coach and I already had different things in place, which really helped me thrive and maximize that time during COVID when I was able to really say, hmm, everything's not fitting together for me. How do I want to shift it? How do I want to pivot? I had those people there to help me through that process. And what I decided in in my reflection was that I wanted to do something surrounding Black women and helping us just find our happy place. And a lot of times we just don't know where to start. You know, we are busy. We are overwhelmed. We are dealing with grief. We're dealing with post-traumatic stress. We're dealing with depression, anxiety. We are tired. Mm -hmm. We are in unfulfilling relationships professionally, personally. We got kids. It's driving us crazy. We're going crazy because we did everything right and we waited for the perfect partner and we may not still have kids because we can't have them because we waited too long. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with all these frustrations And we're praying to God. We feel like, does God even hear me? Because my heart is still hurting and you feel isolated because the other thing nobody tells you about success is you feel like you can't unburden yourself anymore because you're supposed to be so grateful and so happy because you made it. You're making the money. You got the degrees. You got the title. You have nothing to complain about. There are people who are much worse than you. And it's very isolating to be in that bubble. And so I created She Confidential thinking about that woman who was trying to live while she's also grieving and hurting for that woman who is too busy to seek out the resources that she needs. You know, when we look at the, the wellness wheel, there's so many components of, of that financial, spiritual, sexual, you know, personal, professional, all those different things. But who has time to dig into all of that? much less find the resources that they need. And I'm not talking about just like reading articles, but finding the people to help Mm -hmm. them. You don't have time for that. And the other thing is, as we get older and more successful, uh, it's more isolating because it's harder to find new women and expand your circle. Like before we started recording, I was saying like, I just, I wouldn't have discovered Define and Empower Mm -hmm. had it not been for this. And I needed to find, define, and empower. <laughs> and so it's like, thank God for me starting She Confidential because it's helped me, you know, seek out other women, other programs and platforms that can really support and empower us. But most women, they don't have the luxury of that time because that's not their thing. That's not their primary thing. So they can't expand their network and their village so that they're with like-minded women on their journey, because we need that. They can't connect with those professionals and experts who can help them design their journey, because we're all unique. Yeah. Our life priorities are different. They will shift what is important for you this year at number one will shift next year. So mm-hmm. it, you need those people to kind of help you figure out how do I prioritize all these various components of wellness and personal development? How do I find that community? because that's too much for me to bear all on, on my own. And so I created She Confidential to have one spot where women could meet, have those connections and meet all of these professionals and experts who cover all of the topics of wellness and personal development. And it's from the focus of how it impacts black women. And the reason I focus on black women outside of the fact that I'm a black woman is because everything is designed for whiteness. And we're just in there as an aside, and that's if we're included at all. And so by having a focus on black women and it's not excluding other women, it's just saying the focus is on us because if you focus on black women, you can help everybody else. As long as, because that's something that we forget a lot of times. If we focus and target supporting the most vulnerable, the most excluded, the most disenfranchised, if we focus on empowering and supporting them, everyone else will be lifted up as well. And so that's the target for She Confidential and just being able to provide that one spot where you can meet, hear these conversations that you've been raised to not talk about. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We talk about orgasm difficulty. We talk about discomfort with sex. We talk about discrimination in the workplace. We talk about discrimination with your healthcare provider, the difficulty and shame in telling your healthcare provider things you're struggling with. We talk about that imposter syndrome in the workplace. We talk about the family members who don't have life insurance. And so now y'all gotta fry fish plates to pay f- to bury them. Have we a talk- GoFundMe. <laughs> is our GoFundMe. I mean, we talk about have people who have mother wounds the impact of fatherlessness. We talk about the burden that's placed on Black children, Black girls in particular, because of our bodies developing as they naturally develop. We explore all those things because I think so often we think we only need to tackle one topic, one issue. And that's, that's certainly relevant. If you want to talk about Finance things you're going to go follow the budgetista. There, there are people out there who are, or the Ivy investor. If you want to talk about like investing, you know there are definitely those platforms that are exclusive to that one particular topic. Um, but it can also be very time consuming and hard to find that expert in everything that you need to support you as the whole person. And that was the intention for She Confidential to be able to cover all those topics, feature all those different professionals so that people can listen or watch the show and hear discussions about the things that they never even knew that they needed to talk about. Like I've had people say to me, I didn't know there was sex therapist. I didn't know anything about a pelvic floor therapist, or I didn't think about Adding beneficiaries to my bank account so that when I die, my family doesn't have to go through probate to get the money in my bank account. Like we're talking about all those things and you're meeting people who might be able to help you with some of the challenges you're facing. In addition, this provides an opportunity for people to look at their own lives and say, where do I need some work? Where do I need some support? And now you've got a starting point because we're giving you the basics and the foundations and telling you where to find help during our discussions. So we're identifying some of the potential issues. We're telling you where some of the resources are. We're putting a face to one of the resources and also normalizing black faces. There are black people in all of these spaces. And it's important that we have people who are culturally competent and we have to normalize and encourage people like you have the right to find somebody who looks like you and makes you feel comfortable. And that's that's why I feature Black guests because yeah. I want to normalize folks seeing it. We are out here, y'all. And you just got to know where to look to find us. And the third goal for She Confidential is to provide that community. And I mentioned that last, but it, it is actually one of the most important things because a lot of times, again, as we climb these ladders, is very
0: isolating.
1: Yes. It's it's, you get a distance from, even from your own family. I've had people in my family say you've changed or you think you're better than us. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That discomfort other people have being in your space because you're moving a little bit different and it's isolating and it can stunt your growth. -hmm. If you allow it to. And so it's really important, especially for those of us, you know, we work in these corporate environments where we're the only one, and people tout that as like, oh, you're so resilient and you're so strong, but Mm -mm. that shit cuts your soul, it depletes you over time. You have to have a village of people who understand. What you're going through. And it's and you need them to be able to vent, but more importantly, because venting shouldn't be the totality of that relationship. Any of those people to say, you know what, sis, you ain't been feeling this job. It's not fulfilling you. What are we gonna do? Yeah. Because see, I know somebody over here who's a career coach. You know, we're working, me and my other friend, we're working on a career development plan. Let's talk about like our career development goals. Like let's let's bounce ideas off of each other. Let's do mock interviews with each other. Let's talk about, you've been talking about opening a cupcake shop. You know, let's talk about how you could open that cupcake shop while you keep this nine to five job. How can you build that in? How can we help support you while you try to do that with promotions or whatever? You You need that sisterhood. And so that's why we're launching the online community this winter so that we can now take these discussions that people hear and see on the show and collaborate and connect with other women who are also on that personal development and growth journey and be able to talk about and offer support about the issues that they're encountering and how they're trying to level up their life and and make this internal glow up their reality because you're not alone. We just don't talk about it. We just don't talk about the struggle, but you are, we all struggling in, in one way or another. So that was a very lengthy introduction to Charlene and She Confidential, but I'm, I'm so excited and grateful that I get to do this and that I've gotten to connect with so many amazing women like you and get to discover so many amazing platforms like Define and Empower. I'm just so thankful and grateful. And yeah, I'm excited,
0: yay. Thank you so much for the answer. Yes. And I mean, you just seem like such an emotionally well person. I said that as an extreme compliment because (laughs) I've been in therapy for about a year now. And I'm like the the things that you have to do as part of your platform of reaching out to women who inspire you, thinking about long-term financial planning, thinking about deep internal happiness, thinking about nutrition, thinking about wellness, thinking about sexuality, like these are all things that I cannot even begin to conceive of when I was stuck in my deep depressive state because I did feel so isolated. And it's like as I go deeper into my therapy and healing journey, my scope of the world grows wider and wider. So, I mean, I would love to hear from you. What is the relationship between your own therapy journey and healing journey and your professional work with She Confidential? Like, how does that, how do they affect each other?
1: They're absolutely related. There would be no She Confidential if I had not been in therapy for as long as I've been. So I initially started going to therapy for grief counseling because my father passed away in November of twenty. 20- or 2007. Mm-hmm. And that was also my first semester of law school. I had just purchased a house mm-hmm. the year before I was 26 years old. And I had just purchased a house first semester of law school. Um, I was in a long distance relationship with someone that I knew was cheating on me. And I was the person of my friend circle and of my family that everybody could depend on. So mm-hmm. I had a lot on me emotionally i had bills <laughs> all this stuff um i was working full time even though i was in law school i was working full time at an international publishing company and i was managing books that generated millions of dollars in revenue so these were big deals like most a lot of black women it's like we've got these jobs all these responsibilities mm-hmm. and so when my father died unexpectedly it's like it was a few weeks before thanksgiving and exams in law school you only have one grade and that's your exams at the end of the semester this is my first semester and i was like i've got to get my mind together to do these exams at work i had this big author meeting coming up and i took a couple of weeks off they let me deplete all of my i think we got like two or three days off for death in the family and then they let me use my sick time because I also needed to study like for the bar exam and my mom and a lot of other people told me just pray you know God will deliver you through it keep pushing just move forward just keep going don't stop and so that's what I did I pressed forward studied took my exams went back to work went back to my regular routine um I started waking up at, in the middle of the night, like sobbing. And I, I lived alone and I had two, have two cats. Mm-hmm. And my cats at that time, they would lay in bed next to me. Like they were comforting me. Mm-hmm. And because I went to sleep crying most night, I would wake up in crying spells. Um, then a few months later, my best friend from childhood, she passed away from mm-hmm. lupus too. Mm-hmm. Then a month later, my great uncle passed mm-hmm. away from prostate cancer. Um, So it was all these things. And like within a six month period. And then in the middle of that, like the relationship I had blew up. Mm. And so it was just all this. And it's like, wow, I'm over here. I live alone and I'm exhausted emotionally, but I have to go to work because I've got bills to pay. I can't quit law school because I just started this. And I told everybody knows I'm in law school, so I can't stop and like be a failure. Everybody else is telling me I should be better by now, but I'm not. So I guess something's wrong with me. I'm praying all the time. It doesn't seem to be working because I'm still crying and I still feel like shit. Mm -hmm. And I started having like bladder issues. Like I was feeling like this heaviness in my bladder all the time. Um, I started having like shortness of breath. And so I would go to the bathroom at work. I was having panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And I knew what it was just because I used to work in an emergency department, and I worked on medical books, so I knew what was happening. But I was so disconnected from that happening to me because I'm like, this is not me. I'm not weepy. I'm not a weepy mm-hmm. person. I I keep it moving. Mm-hmm. It's like I get things done, and I'm strong. I'm strong, and I would literally be saying to myself as I'm trying to catch my breath, "I'm strong. You're better than this. You're better than this." And it was one day I had gone back to my desk. After I'd had a panic attack and I was in a cubicle and my manager's office was behind mine and she called me in the office and she was so compassionate and sweet, but she said, you were struggling. Why don't you go see a therapist? You know, our insurance is really good and it covers, you know, X number of sessions and, you know, you can take, you know, extended lunch break. Cause she's like, I know you have school when you leave here. Cause I went to school at night, four nights a week for four hours. And she's like, go during the day. You need to do that for you. And I thought about it. I mentioned it to some family members. They were like, oh, no, them people are going to put you on medicine and have you even more jacked up. Don't do it. Don't do it. And so I didn't do it for a while, but things just got worse. My big wake up call was my bladder issues didn't improve. Like Mm -hmm. it continued. Like the pressure got so bad that I couldn't even sit down for extended periods of time because it was just like this heavy pressure. Like I had to go pee, but nothing would happen. Mm -hmm. I had a bunch of tests for that and stuff, and ruled out everything. And they said, "Oh, it must be stress. Mm -hmm. Interstitial cystitis um, caused by stress." I'm like, okay, this is breaking my body down. I'm not sleeping well. I'm still having these panic attacks. I'll go talk to a therapist. So I went to go see a therapist who specialized in grief therapy. And I thought that was the only reason I was there to just talk about these deaths. But once I got into therapy, and for a lot of people, you realize you should have been there. There are all these other things that we have repressed. And the thing that I'm learning about our bodies is that our body never forgets. Yep it always is aware. Even if you think this wasn't a big deal, this, you know, I'm good. I'm good. No, your body's actually not. And for a lot of times for us as women, that stuff, that trauma settles in our womb, it will manifest as digestive issues, menstrual issues, bladder pressure, (laughs) all these things, your body responds to the trauma that your mind Tries to repress, and so when I was in therapy, as we we're talking about these other things, it, there were little trinkles of things from my childhood. Like I had a stepfather who was addicted to crack cocaine. I grew up in the eighties, the height of the crack epidemic, and I think I mentioned that one day, really casually in therapy, because it was wasn't until therapy that I realized, oh, that's kind of a trauma. Because yep. I felt like, well, everybody in my neighborhood had a parent who was on crack. I was blessed because my mother was never a drug user. So it was really bad if your mom was on it because you probably weren't getting fed or anything. So for me, I was like, I didn't have trauma. My mother didn't do drugs. But it was. Somebody that I loved was, was in the household doing drugs, and it impacted us very deeply. And it wasn't until my therapist said, that's that's a trauma. How do you feel about that? And I'm like, well, I I don't feel anything. I mean, he wasn't my husband, he wasn't my biological father. So I didn't think I had the right to really feel anything. But the thing was, I did. I felt a lot. I just had never spoken about it out loud. And I've always kept a diary since I was probably five or six. And I still have those diaries and therapy inspired me to go back and read some of those and it was it was heartbreaking some of it because kids are so like we call them resilient Mm -hmm. but it's really like them just normalizing trauma yep and so I would write about different things that happened, and it would be just so blase and I'm like oh my god this was me like if this were my child or some other kid that was talking about feeling like this or, or observing these things I would be devastated But this was me and I'm sitting here in therapy saying I was unaffected. I don't have any trauma. I'm only here because these people died and I'm having a tough time dealing with that. No, it's deeper than that. So therapy, a lot of times we go because there is that one major incident in life that we're that we are having a tough time overcoming. But then once you get into therapy, you realize you really should have been there because life is hard, especially for us as black women. It is riddled with trauma that we have normalized, that is just sustained. And then we're not just dealing with our own experience trauma. We're dealing with the trauma of everybody around us. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when I went back and read my diary, there were things that happened with other people that I had forgotten. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: it was there in that diary, which lets me know my body hadn't forgotten it. The way I felt as a kid, when those things happened to other people, my body hadn't forgotten those things. So it's like, no wonder, like you get to a point where your body's like, I can't do this anymore. I was blessed that it, that my, the point that I decided to start responding to my body's alarm system was the panic attacks and the bladder problems. Some people, they don't respond until they have that heart attack or that stroke but our body gives us alarms. It's like those stomach upsets and things, those recurring headaches, you know, and acne, a lot of those things, that's your body saying, you know what, this is too much. This is too much. This is too much. But we don't give ourselves permission to slow down and dig into it. And so for me, once I finally got into therapy and it took a while to open up, um, it took a while to accept the accountability that came along with it because I've always really struggled with establishing and maintaining boundaries mm-hmm. with people I love. And a lot of that I've learned is a symptom of trauma, like that form. Like I would have said, I'm not a people, ple- people pleaser, but I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had to get educated about their different ways of being a, a people pleaser. And once that was identified for me, And I saw those connections for how I felt unfulfilled and just depleted by some of the people closest to me, that was an eye-opener. Because what it did was it wasn't highlighting them just being takers or them just taking advantage. What it highlighted was my need to please other people. And once I recognized, okay, I've got this need, I'm learning where this comes from, now I can establish these boundaries and hold myself accountable because I'm not liking how this feels. I can't change these other people and how they are pulling at me, but I can say I'm going to sever this lifeline for you. And when I don't, then I am participating in enabling my own suffering and that's holding me accountable. And I have to say that like, that's probably the most uncomfortable part of therapy. Yes. Most uncomfortable part when you have that mirror and you're like, okay, I understand why I'm this way, but once you understand why you're that way and you continue to be that way, that shit is on you. Yeah. And it don't feel
0: good. It's embarrassing. (laughs) It is.
1: (laughs) It is. It's like, why really? This, really, this how I'm living. And my therapist is very like. She's just gonna keep it real. And I would come in and be upset about something. And she's like, well, okay, let's walk through this. And what she would help me see is the pattern. Mm -hmm. And she says, So, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Because you say you don't enjoy how you feel right now, Mm -hmm. but your actions say otherwise. So who should we be talking about right now? Because you've been talking about that other person. But we've we've explored this before, so you know better. Mm-hmm. And then it's like I don't think you're supposed to come at me like that, because I'm upset. I even said, "It's you. <laughs> like I, I don't think this is how this is supposed to work." And I even said to a friend of mine once, I was so upset I called her um, because she told me that I really needed to work on establishing more concrete boundaries with somebody very close in my life. And I told this person what she said, and they didn't respond well. And they were like, there's, you're gonna let these people ruin our relationship and blah, blah, blah. And they were very hurt. But what I had to understand is that was their trauma and codependency speaking. And one of the hardest things, in addition to personal accountability, one of the hardest things about therapy for me was to be able to prioritize my own wellness over others. Because people will say, you know, you're changing or you're being selfish and it's, it will hurt them. It's, you know, when you start establishing boundaries and you're not doing like you used to do, it's going to be painful for them. It really, it's going to be painful for you too, but they don't, the difference is, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. They really don't understand. And they feel like it's a rejection. And now you're going to start withholding your love and. And what you're really trying to do is redefine that relationship, but they didn't have a problem with it. And so they don't want it to change. They don't understand why you want it to change. And so it's very difficult. And for me, I really had to learn how to work past feeling guilty because I felt guilty and ashamed all the time around therapy like that's the other thing you know you have to deal with that personal accountability you have to deal with other people not accepting you being in therapy but the other thing is therapy does not feel good all the time Mm -hmm. most of the time it does not feel good Mm -hmm. I was ashamed that I had to be there because I felt like, because again, when I started going, this was before everybody was talking about being in therapy. Now people are like, yeah, I got me a therapist and blah, blah, blah. I got a sex coach. I got this, you know, people were saying that, but back in 2007, it wasn't normalized. And so I was embarrassed because I felt like nobody else is really having to do this, especially black women, white women, you know, They've always been able to do that and have that support because we just expect them to need the extra support and they're going to say they need it and they're going to get it and it's acceptable for us. uh well, what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. And I felt ashamed. I was embarrassed and I was also ashamed and embarrassed because in therapy, when you're being completely honest about your experiences and your role, sometimes it just takes you hearing you talk about things. And you're like, oh, shit, that was me. That was me. That was me. That was me. And you get it when you hear yourself talking about it. Mm -hmm. Because when you're talking to your girls, they ain't going to give you that same level of of accountability. Mm -mm. Even if they do say, you know, girl, now you know you was tripping. They're not going to repeat and say, okay, you don't see the pattern here. Mm -hmm. And also really hold you to if you say you want your life to be this way, but you keep doing this and that ain't getting you there. What was what's the reason for the disconnect? Either you why are you doing the work if you're going to stay in place? What's what's the block here? Your friends typically aren't going to come at you like that. And so a lot of people think I've got good friends. That's my therapy. No, it's not. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. And your friends. Even if if for people who have friends who are therapists and most, I have several friends who are, please don't go to your friends as your therapist, because that's like, that's such a boundary thing. For one thing, it it Mm -hmm. needs to be a boundary. And the other thing is, it's a big pet peeve of mine for people to intrude on people's work and bread and butter as like a courtesy. Mm -hmm. So when you're going to them to be your therapist and this person is your friend, you're actually stealing from them Mm -hmm. because you're asking them, give me your professional services on the free. And the other thing is they need to have boundaries as well. Now, they may go into therapist mode when you talk about things um, because that's maybe instinctively just who they are. But I think a way to really help that a lot of times when we're venting, and I know this is kind of an aside, but this is an important thing about boundaries that I had to learn to do, but we need to get in the habit of asking people like, are you in the headspace for me to vent about something real quick? Mm-hmm. When you call your girl and you mad about that man who, you know, you shouldn't be fooling with, but you got lonely and you got needs and your vibrator wasn't getting in. So you called him over, you hooked up with him and now he's tripping or you loaned your cousin some money and they didn't pay you back, but you see them on Instagram and they in Mexico right now kicking it, or that person at work says some slick stuff to you, Call when you call your friend, first ask them, are you in the headspace for me to vent? Mm-hmm. And be receptive to what they say. Mm-hmm. And if you know your friend, like don't call people in the middle of their workday or when you know it's a hectic time for them to vent. Like we have to be more mindful of what other people are carrying. And we have to ask permission before we dump on them. But even then, if they say, yes, your friend is not your therapist. And so for me, therapy has helped me establish those boundaries, implement that personal accountability and just become, get, get more clarity on what my wants and needs are and where my sensitivities are. Because a lot of times for us as black women, all we hear about is how strong we need to be. And I didn't honestly, until the last maybe two, three years realize that it's okay for me to say that I'm vulnerable. Like I felt ashamed saying I desire to be married and have mm-hmm. a partner. I was embarrassed to say that because I grew up hearing women shouldn't need a man. You shouldn't need this. If you're you know, a cis heterosexual woman, you're not supposed to say that, but That's how I
0: feel. We're human. We need social contact. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But it's like, we took this strength thing to a whole nother side. And I get, that was a self-defense mechanism and a trauma response, but we got to normalize women and humans just being able to get in touch with their humanity again. We are not designed to be alone. And I'm not even just talking about like relationships, you know, intimate ones with, you know, sex partners or spouses or anything. I'm just saying just human human. We are not designed to be alone. We are supposed to be touched. Mm -hmm. You know, we are supposed to have companionship. We are supposed to have some camaraderie in this thing called life. But we have been brought up and conditioned to think that that's a sign of weakness and therapy helped me understand that's not the case because the other thing I want people to understand is in therapy, you don't just explore the traumas. It's not just all about the traumas. You know, you get to really see your triumphs. You really get to see those golden opportunities. You also, as you reflect on the people around you, you get to see how you have been influenced positively and inspired by them too. And it can help add meaning to some of the things that we didn't understand that happened around us. You can kind of make some sense of it. And even if you can't make sense of it, you can figure out where its place should be in your life and what you can do with it next. Because we can't go back and change the past, but with us understanding it and looking at where we are right now, where we want to be, we can figure out how am I going to carry this with me moving forward? You never can get rid of those scars. They're always going to be there. But what you can do is figure out How can I heal from this? Like, it's always going to be there, but how am I going to manage with this? How do I move forward with this scar on my heart permanently? Because it's possible to do, but you first got to acknowledge that it's there and discern how is it impacting me now? Like concrete examples of that is how is it impacting your relationships, your ability to trust, your ability to be friends with other women? That's a big one. It's a lot of women walking around here talking about they don't. I don't do with other women. I don't have. I ain't friends. It's with It's too other much women. drama. <laughs> like you're <Right>. the drama. <laughs> with who? Because I'm we cool over here. I mean, it, humans again. The basic thing is people forget basic respect. Mm-hmm. A lot of the conflict comes because people don't respect people first. Aren't establishing their own boundaries. Because you got to be aware of the boundaries you need and and articulate those and enforce them. And then other people have to respect them. And there's a breakdown that happens both on the self-awareness side and communicating side and receiving and accepting side. But once you get that, there's no reason. If you can't get along with other women, you can't get along with yourself. Women need women. Black women need Black women. So it's all those things when you really start digging into your past, you get to understand why you have some of the challenges you have right now. And so therapy has really helped me with it. And it also helped me understand, like from the time that I was young, I was always starting like clubs and groups and just gatherings of women. And it was always informal, like social things. And even when I was in grade school. So, do you remember Albie Shore? Yes. Yes. He <laughs> was so fun. <laughs> he was so fun. I had like all these posters of him all around my bedroom back when we had all those magazines and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what was it? Sister, sister. Sister, to sister. Yeah. Sister, sister. And so I would collect all of these posters and put them all around my room. And I loved Albie Shore when I was like in the fifth grade. So he had this big hit called Misunderstanding
0: mm.
1: and I started a dance group in grade school and we called it, well, I came up with the name, Misunderstanding. So I was like a tyrant then. I didn't quite understand that you need other people. And so I've always been a task master and project manager. And so I had this group and I'm like, and at that time the girl groups were starting to really re- be huge, you know, and Vogue was huge Mm -hmm. and TLC, all those people. And so I was like, I'm going to start the next girl group. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, we got to rehearse. And so his song came out and we came up with a dance routine. I'm like, we're going to rehearse at recess time. And then I was writing songs because I had a little uh, tape recorder and it was red and you could press record and you, and I would sing the songs because I never learned how to write music. So I would like sing the songs. And the recorder, and my plan was to have my group members listen and learn these songs. And this was back when all the singles were released with the instrumental on the B-side. So I would write new songs to the instrumentals. So I had all this stuff going for our our album because we were going to be famous. But they didn't want to rehearse on recess. Or if they came to rehearsal, they didn't have the songs memorized or the dance routines. And I was like, you know, there's some bullshit because I'm trying to be famous. And these chicks here they, they don't want to be stars. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) I kept kicking people out the group because I'm like, they, they don't want it bad enough until one day it was just me and the group. And I look up and I said, well, I'm fine with that. I'm cool. I can make it happen. And I look over and they're all playing rope rope. And I'm sitting over here by myself and I'm like, ugh. Maybe I did that kind of wrong. Maybe I shouldn't have kicked everybody out the group. And and so that was an important lesson for me. One, that you can't expect everybody to match their drive to match yours or their Mm -hmm. desires to match yours. They wanted to do it for fun. I was like real serious, serious. And, And we wasn't on the same page. The other thing was you gotta be careful about how you can misuse your friendships with people. Because in my intent to build this great girl group, I forgot that they were my friends first. And I should have been like, okay, do y'all like want to rehearse, like maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then we can play on Tuesdays, Thursdays. Do y'all even like these songs? Do you want to do this routine? Like, what do y'all want to do? And those were important things for me because I realized I value my friendships with them even more than I did the group. And so we got it together so I could be reconnected with them. But I always had different groups and was always having events where I could pull women together. Um, Another, and this is getting to the birth of of She Confidential, but in college, I was working uh, when I was an undergrad. I was working at the emergency department at St. Louis Children's Hospital, and it was a very stressful job. I was 19. And I had never seen people die before, um, not in person. And I was now in this place where kids died or kids came in very injured, very sick. And it was high stress. And I was in college. So I was working full time and I was in college full time. Most of my friends were also like juggling way too much because Black women. We always doing way too much. And it's just normal. And it was around October and everybody was super stressed. So this would have been in October of 2000. And I decided we're going to have a women's relaxation slumber party. And so I invited, and I was the youngest one there, I think. Well, no, one of my other friends came. She was the same age as me. But outside of that, all of these women came to our women's relaxation party. And I rented a hotel suite. Um, my best friend, Tanya, who had passed away, she helped me coordinate it. So we got this hotel suite. Um, we cooked all this food. My mom cooked most of it. And we went and bought all this liquor. Tanya bought the liquor because I was 19. <laughs> we bought all this liquor. Um, we went to the store and got prizes for the game. So we went to the adult store and bought some Adult toys and stuff. And we also got bath and body work stuff because we're ladies, we're girly. Um, So we had these games. It was all you could eat, all you could drink. And we charged a fee and we collected keys when everybody came in. And we also hired a dancer. And it was such a great relaxation time. But the magic happened after the dancer was gone and around one in the morning when we all just got to keep it real and just talk about life. And that was when I first really realized that what you see on the outside with most women is not what's the fullness of what's going on on the inside, because we were all struggling in different ways. And that's not to say that they weren't, everybody was miserable because that wasn't the case. These were generally like happy women, but they were unfulfilled women, most of them. And we talked about that. And that was really important for me to learn in 19 because I realized, I always thought, well, once you finish college, or once you get married, or once you get this good job, then everything will, you'll be happy, you'll be fulfilled, and that showed me like, hmm, these milestones don't equate fulfillment. Mm-hmm. But I still didn't know how do you what's in between it, like how do you get to fulfillment because if these milestones don't equal it, like what 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 helps you get there, and. As time went on and I had more life experiences and met more you know, women and everything, right before COVID started, again, my circle is filled with all these professional women who are busy, highly accomplished, and just doing way too much. Yeah. And I decided, well, we need to start another club because we need all these resources and we need to have designated time to come together because now we're all at this point in our lives where we're so busy that we can't really do spontaneous things. Everybody got to check their calendar first before we have a phone call. So I started a club called the Purple Sisterhood because I'm a Prince fan. And this was before COVID. So this started in 2018 and we would get together quarterly Well, no, we were doing monthly things. So like on alternating months, we would get together for meals because I didn't want it to all be revolved around food because, you know, as black folks, we love to eat and we do that like a lot. So I was trying to be intentional and say that every gathering was not going to be focused on food. So every other gathering, we got together for food and girl time, but the ones in between that it was girl time for a with a purpose. So one thing we did this wellness event where we went to my buddy's yoga studio and we did yoga and we had a wellness workshop. We did a nutritional cooking class. Like we had a whole calendar of events planned. Then COVID happened. And we we couldn't do anything together anymore. So I was at home during COVID, isolated, depressed and scared, feeling like this is way worse than the zombie apocalypse. And I'm not fulfilled in my life and my purpose. And how can I change that? Because I'm seeing that you can check all these boxes and have all these milestones and not get there. And I'm seeing how it's really disproportionately impacting Black women. Because also during COVID, I start paying attention to now these kids are at home we're distance learning. And the moms are typically the ones having to manage that, even though they're also at work. And they're having, and for most people I know, their workloads increased during COVID, in addition to the stress levels. So you've got this extra stress with work. Now you've got your kid at home. And then you've got this spouse. If your relationship was rocky, it's real rocky now because now y'all in the house with each other all the time and y'all don't really like this person. Yeah. Um, everything is magnified. And I realized Black women need a resource and a place to go for support, camaraderie, and access to the resources they don't even know they need or don't have the time to seek. And I knew for me, this is something I've been doing from the time I was a little kid, been bringing women together to do things. And I've done it, figured out some right ways to do it and some not some right ways to do it. (laughs) But it's something that I've consistently enjoyed doing. And I've had all these amazing life experiences personally and professionally. And I'm like, I love to talk to people. I love to learn. I've been doing all this work on my own development. And I have these conversations with my friends that are very vulnerable and transparent. I'm like, I want to share this with more women. So why don't I start my own thing? And so I created a business plan. And at the time I did it, like imposter syndrome kicked in because it's like, okay, you're not in a place in life where you can be on a public platform. Cause at that time I had never done a social media live. I think I had like 200 Facebook friends and like a hundred Instagram friends. Like I didn't really do much. And on social media, I didn't know how to do a live. I didn't even have the apps on my phone. Um, I had Instagram on there, but I didn't have Facebook on my phone. I was like, um, I'm still dealing with like my acne. I'm trying to get my skin together. I'm trying to lose weight. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm single. I haven't figured out this relationship stuff. I got work I still need to do on myself. So I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm ready to present myself to people like this. But then I thought about it. Hell nah, that don't matter. Cause you know, we all working on something. Like there's nobody who is a hundred percent all together. Even these celebrities that we see who look absolutely amazing with no cellulite and no fat rolls or anything. Well, you know, that's because they got a team to get them together. Plus they might be using some Photoshop and all that stuff is, it's a different thing. And so I realized what I'm measuring myself against is not real. Mm -hmm. And it's also not authentic. Because the thing of it is, if I want to have a platform where I'm encouraging other Black women to be empowered and to secure the resources to live and design their best life, I got to be real about my own journey in it. And it's an ebb and flow. And you never fully arrive. It's always always the season is going to change and what you're working on is going to shift. What your goals are are going to shift. And once I really kind of overcame that again, with the help of therapy and my wellness coach, because they really had to help talk me through those things and really help me re-examine my plans. Cause it's like, if these are things that are concerning to you, what are, what are we doing to address them and how can we move forward? Cause you can do it simultaneously. You can pursue your dreams and continue to work on you. And that was the big lesson for me. And that's why I say there would be no sheet confidential if I hadn't already been in therapy, if I didn't already have a wellness coach, because I wouldn't have had the mental capacity to say, how can I carve this out in my life without like breaking myself down? Because usually when I do things, I've always had more than one job. Like I've always had a nine to five in another business. Um, So that's just been my existence and the existence of many people for a variety of reasons. And usually I would be content with being like, oh, I'm going to work like this, work like this and get in three or four hours of sleep and that's that. But this is like, nope, I'm not going to do that. Like I have a hard and fast rule that like, I have to be in the bed by one o'clock in the morning. And if I'm up working till like one, and there are some rare occasions that I'm up later than that, but if I'm up until one, then I'm probably going to be in the bed till eight or nine mm-hmm. because I'm learning. It's okay for me to prioritize my rest. Cause I can't do this well if I don't. And that doesn't mean that I'm a slacker or any of that. That just means I'm human and I'm taking care of myself so I can show up at my best for other people. So she confidential has like kept me in balance too. Cause it's like, I got to practice what I'm encouraging other women to do, I got to take care of me you know, I've added a dermatologist to the roster. I have an esthetician and I'm going to see a chiropractor. Mm -hmm. Like I am expanding my team of people, you know, to help me create some balance and make sure everything is working in alignment because it's really hard to do all of this stuff by yourself. Really hard to do. And I've learned that it's okay to say, you know, I need some help with this or I'm struggling with that or maybe I'm doing too much right now. So I'm going to chill and fall back on that. And that's one of the big things that I think that we as Black women need to allow ourselves to do. Like we talk so much about going hard and the grind. We need to learn how to fall back. Yep. Learn to fall back, which is easier said than done because again, we got shit to do. We got bills, we got people depending on us and we got this mindset and this trauma response that says, I have to go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. And that's how we define our success and define our healthy, our, our wellness and sense of being healthy. But being healthy and being well is actually saying, I need a break. I need to have more harmony in my life. I don't know that it's ever possible to achieve balance because life is life, life be life and is, is never, it might be in balance for maybe five minutes because mm-hmm. the thing of it is we only have one 100% of ourselves because there's only one you. And so when you take that 100% of yourself and you really look at how you're allocating it to and what you're allocating it to, most of us are allocating a good chunk of it to our jobs, whatever is paying us. That could be fine if the job is not making you miserable if it's a job that's making you miserable and that's getting like the majority of you, you really got to work on a plan. Cause that's also killing you. Yeah. And then when we look at what's left in that allocation of that hundred percent, how much are you giving to the people you love? Yeah. How much are you giving to, you know, your children? Like you got to break that down. If you've got kids, how much you're giving to your kids, how much you're giving to your partner, mm-hmm. how much you're giving to your friends And how much you're giving to yourself. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about yourself, again, we've got all those components of personal wellness and development. It's a lot. It's like eight plus areas, depending on what what source you're looking at. So how are you divvying that up? Because most people, when you start looking at that 100% allocation, most people might be left with 5% for themselves. And so you're supposed to take 5% of you and work on eight plus areas of personal (laughs) wellness and development. And we wonder why black women are dying at disproportionate rates of heart disease and stress related illnesses. That's why. And so, you know, we need platforms like Define and Empower to first give ourselves permission to say, I'm gonna do less, I'm gonna fall back. Cause nobody ever tells us that. Nobody ever tells us it's okay to be vulnerable and say, you know what, I'm struggling. I just, I'm over it. It's okay to say that. It's okay to feel that. But then you got to have that second part and know where to find those resources to help you figure out how to prioritize, how to shift those mindsets and how to start healing, start that journey. And you also need to have that community and that sisterhood because you cannot do it alone. And it has to be the right community and sisterhood. They got to be like-minded people. If you yep. at a bunch of other folks who just want to gripe and talk about yeah, these people they ain't right. They doing this, they doing that, but that's not going to help you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's not going to help you. You need a community of people who can help you be accountable, who can also be transparent and say, you know what, this is my struggle too. This is this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm kind of working through it. And then this person can share their experiences. And then you've got that community that can also connect you with the resources and the professionals can help you go deeper on these things. Cause we can't be an expert in all things. We can be good. We can know the surface. We can know about a lot of things, but we only gonna be an expert in a few. And that's, that's okay. That's okay.
0: Oh my God, this is such wisdom. I am loving this. Um, just another question that I had. What is one hope that you have for the next generation of black women? Like Gen Z, millennials, all of them yeah.
1: Well, first I have to say that they are just so awesome. Like they are so dope because already just that my hope for them is that they stay the course in terms of defining what authenticity and fulfillment is going to look like for them. And what's so beautiful about it is we talk a lot about how we inherit the traumas of our ancestors. But the thing is, these folks, they've suffered so that we don't have to. And when I look at the younger generation, I just turned 40 last New Year's Eve. And when I look at these young women who are 20 and like 16 and, and just even the way they talk about their bodies and the way they present their bodies, like I, I'm still not comfortable with my body all like that. It's like, please don't look
0: at me like this.
1: Right, right. Right. Uh, But they are just like claiming it and they are so proud. But I think the difficulty for them, and this is why I say I want them to be able to make those definitions on what fulfillment looks like for them, because the danger for them that my peer group didn't have is social media. Mm -hmm. And it 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 is a fact. I mean, the social media, the way it influences the way you view yourself and other people it doesn't have a positive impact on that, particularly for younger people, because they are still being shaped so much. You know, I grew up seeing women, you know, who wore their hair naturally, who showed their blemishes. You know, we didn't have all this. I mean, everybody's face wasn't getting beat back then when we were growing up. Is <laughs> yep. We were used to seeing women looking like normal women. We were used to seeing women who had babies who weren't rocking, you know, a six pack.
0: Right? Two months,
1: you know, we saw women with normal booties whose booties match their thighs. You know, we saw cellulite stretch marks. It was real. I grew up seeing that. And now you go on social media and they'll have you thinking, everybody has an hourglass shape. Mm-hmm. Everybody has like this smooth, dewy looking skin. And it's just, it's so damaging, especially for women, because we are always comparing ourselves to some version of a woman that will never exist. And particularly for us as Black women, because we're always battling this Eurocentric standard of beauty. And then now, even within the Black community, it's like, are you being authentic enough? You know, it's like team natural hair, like y'all doing, y'all wearing weaves and y'all doing this and that. And it's, you know, we're, we've we got a little bit of infighting with things too. It's the team makeup and team no makeup. You know, it's the team, no surgery. I'm gonna go get my surgery. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, because we're all trying to show that I'm real, I'm real, I'm authentic. You're not being authentic. Well, really it's whatever floats your boat but understand why you're moving the way you're moving. And that's that's my fear. And what I hope for younger women is that they're able to discover and define what authenticity looks like for them because they have so many messages coming at them and so much imagery that it's hard to know what's real and what's authentic anymore. And unless they are able to really do that work, get in therapy, check your peer group, Talk to some seasoned women who've been through it because I'm gonna tell you, as wise as your friends may be now, mm -mm, talk to some folks that've been through some shit because I got some stories for y'all. I can talk about dating. I can talk about everything. I've worked in every sector. I've worked in different environments. Like talk to some women who have lived. Nobody's saying that you got to follow their footsteps, but what you will learn is what to avoid and the red flags learn from the sufferings of others so that you don't have to experience it yourself. You do not have to experience it yourself to learn from it. And I want this younger generation to be able to define what is authentic for them and why they're making the choices they're making. That means learning about your family, the folks who came before you, learning about the struggles of Black women in America, learning about our ancestors before we were kidnapped and brought to this country because it's very important. So much of our religion and spirituality has been perverted because when our people were kidnapped and brought here, we were told everything from our homeland was bad, was demonic, was pagan. I'm not saying you got to shift from being a Southern Baptist. What I'm saying is you got to understand where that came from and what your people believed in. And if you want to reconcile the two, because you can't, You know, we need to understand what it means to be a feminist. You can't be a feminist and not subscribe and play along with these games that a lot of white women do who are in their feminist movement. You have to learn about those things, ask those questions, explore those things so that you can decide how you want to move about in this world. I don't think that there is a right or wrong way to be a Black woman. There isn't. But you just need to make sure it's authentic for you. And the only way you can do that is through exploration and having meaningful connections with other Black women. Mm-hmm.
0: That's my hope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's incredibly profound. I mean, I appreciate you being so transparent and vulnerable and doing that healing work for yourself, because in that you've broken the cycle so that, you know, younger millennials like me can be comfortable in who we are because we have people like you as a role model. Because to be able to see a Black woman saying, hey, I need a wellness coach, I need a dermatologist, I need an esthetician, just to even know that I can dream about these things and I can seek them out is empowering to me. And I hope that I can continue the work that you're doing by passing that even further down to the young Gen Z and Gen Alpha women coming up. It's like, we are able to get messages so much further when someone ahead of us is able to break that cycle. So I thank you deeply for that.
1: Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for everything that you're doing. It's just amazing. Like, it's just, there is so much healing. Like, we are doing the ancestors proud. Yes. Like, this is, and I'm not one of those people, like I know people bash capitalism and all that stuff, but I, I believe we can make that work for us too. Um, but this is the real work. Mm-hmm. This is the real work. Like having these conversations, creating resources for other women, creating a place for connection for other women. This is the real work. This is what's going to deliver our people. When people talk about the revolution, this is the revolution confronting our trauma, giving people permission to heal from it, recognizing that it's a privilege to even have that option because I talk a lot about being able to choose and I talk about my team of helpers. I realize I'm privileged as hell because my mama couldn't have did all that. My mother was working several jobs. Yep, Like she was, again, she was in that survival mindset and that's why I say to people, we got to move in gratitude when we talk yes. about our elders. We too often talk about the generational traumas they passed on, but we got options because they didn't. Mm. And so we, that means we have to do better. These people didn't suffer. So we could be walking around here suffering for the rest of our lives. It's like my mom didn't have those options. She didn't. Her mom had even fewer options than her. And so I recognize that I walk in a space of privilege, that I have the job, the professional options I have, that I could start, that I was able to start the podcast, that I'm able to launch an online community. Like all of those are luxuries and privileges that a lot of people don't have. And so I acknowledge that. I'm grateful for that. And that means that I also have to move in a certain kind of ethical way with those things because we need to be grateful, but we also need to be mindful of the impact that we have on other people. That's the responsibility of this social media thing. And when you're doing anything publicly, you have to be really mindful about how what you're putting out there, how that energy, how that commentary influences the rest of the world. I mean, you can't be responsible for how everybody's gonna receive anything, but I think that you have to always make sure right, your heart is right your intentions are right. And then you're really clear in stating your limitations and be really clear on trying to point people to the resources they need. So I appreciate what you're doing too. It's all connected. It takes all of us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh God. I mean, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, Just one last question. I wanted to uh give you a chance to let people know where they can find your work on social media or website or what events Absolutely. you have coming up. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, yeah, so they the website is sheconfidential.com. So S H E confidential, all one word dot com is the website and all of my social media handles are she dot confidential because somebody had already taken she confidential. Um, so she dot confidential on Instagram and Facebook and um TikTok and YouTube channel is she.confidential. And I'm on Twitter at CK Confidential. So that's CK Confidential. Um, So if you go to the website, sheconfidential.com, it has the links for everything else. And we've got three main components of the She Confidential platform. We've got the blog and we've got the podcast and YouTube show. Uh, We're wrapping up season three right now, season four will be launching December the 2nd, Mm -hmm. and on that podcast, we cover everything related to the components of personal wellness and development, so we talk about it all. Um, Every episode highlights Black professional um, that is talking about the issues that are relevant to Black women and their communities and the people who love and support black women. Um, And then the third component uh, to the She Confidential platform is the online community, which will be launching this winter. Uh, If people want to get on the wait list, which I would encourage you to do because there will be a really generous discount for those who are on the wait list. um, Once we launch the community, they can go to SheConfidential.com and sign up for the newsletter or um, on the Instagram, there's the link in the bio that has the mailing list sign up for that as well. So I'm super excited about the online community and just continuing to get to meet and collaborate with people like you and platforms like Define and Empower. This, this is the magic.
0: Yeah, I would love to collaborate in any way possible. I mean, I just can't wait to see where else your platform will grow and how you're changing generations of women just from your own awakening.
1: Yeah. I'm excited. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Charlene and I's conversation in the description section of the podcast. I've linked to Charlene's She Confidential homepage please check out Charlene's website to sign up for the She Confidential online community that's launching in March 2022. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer, you can DM us on social media, leave us a comment, or email us at defineandempowercollective at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at defineandempower.co. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so we can continue getting the word out about the work we're doing at Define and Empower. And thank you so much to me and Miranda for editing the audio for this episode. Have a great week, everybody.